Well, it is good to be up here speaking today. Those of you who've been drifting around here for the summer know that you're, some of you've been wondering, what has Tom been doing all summer? Pushing Dana to do all the preaching. He's probably off at the beach every day. Right? Some of you, I know. Very thankful for all the preaching Dana's been doing this summer. Uh, she uh, really has been the, the backbone of this series, preaching two-thirds of it, and allowing me some space this summer to prepare for the fall, to uh, catch up with many of you, and I'm just really thankful. This has been a great series. Now, I recognize that, uh, as we already said, there's visitors here today, people coming and going all summer. We know that. That's one of the challenges of doing kind of a, a summer series, that we recognize that, you know, we get bits and snatches. And, and, and some of us who are here through most of the summer know that we can, we can catch up online. All these are podcasted through iTunes or, or on our website, so that's a great way to catch up. But if you're here today, and maybe you're just visiting, I, I, I hope and trust that uh, this message will be helpful to you. Because it's actually, it's actually an interesting, um, interesting thing we're going to explore today. You know, sometimes we hear the phrase that Christianity isn't about do's and don'ts, and yet we actually hear quite a few do's and don'ts when you read through that Bible if you've dared to crack it. And so for some of us, we can react to that because maybe you were raised in like a a really oppressive religious household where everything was about rules. Maybe it wasn't even a religious household. It was just an oppressive household. It was all about rules. I don't know. But maybe, and so you have this kind of visceral reaction to any kind of like, do this, don't do that. Maybe that's your background. Uh, Maybe some of you have been raised where you're kind of offended by the idea that anyone would tell you what to do be it God or otherwise. And so the idea that there might be some things you should do or shouldn't do, is it kind of bothers you because you figure, hey, if I'm not hurting anybody, what's the problem here? For some of us also, maybe we, we've kind of embraced all that. And we, we're like, yeah, I, I get it. I, I want to follow Jesus. I want to explore what this, what this Christian life looks like. But, but I, I'm kind of wrestling with how we do it and how I figure this out. And what does it mean to to follow Jesus and what are the sort of things that need to be in my life. And then, and then others, maybe you've been following Jesus a long time, but you're wondering, why am I doing this again? Wherever you're at today, I hope that this message is a challenge because I think it's a perfect message to counter some of those questions. Here's the main truth we're going to explore today. Living as a Christian is about living as changed people with a new identity. Living as a Christian, living as a follower of Jesus, is about living as changed people with a new identity. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we've undergone a fundamental identity shift. This is all through the Bible, but it's really key in this letter of Ephesians that we've been exploring this summer. This this letter was written by the great Apostle Paul, who was one of the early church leaders. He wrote this letter. It's kind of a unique letter because it was written to kind of be sent around to a group of Christians in probably a, a set geographical area, probably in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey around there. But, but it was sent around to different Christians, and he was trying to get them to understand what it meant that, that they are now, they've now had this new identity given to them and what that meant for their lives. Well, he's already captured some of this. Maybe some of you will remember this because you've been traveling, but for some of us this is new. So back in chapter 1 of Ephesians, we saw that God actually had chose to adopt people, to adopt us into his family, even though we were resistant to his overtures. We were resistant to his, his offers of friendship. We were rebellious. We were sinful. We, we continued to resist what God wanted, but God wanted us anyway. 
And so he did everything possible to make our adoption into his family available. He did that by sending his own son, Jesus, dying on our cross, giving us a place in his family, offering us a, a new inheritance, being a, a, a bona fide son and daughter of his, offering us a voice and a, and a place in his family. And then to top it all off, we read that, that God actually gave each of us, and, and us as a community, gave us his Holy Spirit to come and live on us, live in us. And, and it's like we've been marked with a seal uh, of his ownership. Where God goes around, stamps us, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. Not in a possessive, weird way, but in a sense of like marking, you actually belong to my family. Then in chapter 2, we heard Paul start to describe how grim our situation really was before this adoption took place. We were like, Paul says, we were like dead bodies floating downstream, and we were starting to stink. You know what I'm saying? There was nothing we could do. We couldn't get ourselves out of it. We were deep in the mud. We, we, we were unable to save ourselves. We were unable to, to get our lives right. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We needed rescue. And then in chapter 2, Paul says, I'm quoting from chapter 2, verses 4 to 6. He says, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, through our trespasses, even then, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I mean, you, you, we heard that, right? It's like, wow, from floating face down to seated beside Jesus. That is a change in position. That's a change in status. That's a change in identity. And anyone... Anyone at all, didn't matter what background, didn't matter what they did, didn't matter where they come from, didn't matter what was going on inside, doesn't matter. Anyone who is willing to say, okay, I believe that what God did in Jesus matters for me, I accept it, I, I, I accept this forgiveness. Anyone who's willing to just say yes to God was brought into his family, was given his Holy Spirit, was, was forgiven, was included at the table. And then, what God did in our own lives, he, he kind of, he lets us know, by the way, the thing I just did in you, I want to do it for everybody. The, you know, healing, the healing I'm bringing into your life and the, the healing I'm bringing into your family relationships and the, the healing I'm bringing between, between different racial groups, that, that thing, I want to do it for everyone. I want to do it across history. I want to do it across generations. I want to do it down through the generations. I want to make everything right again and somehow, unbelievably, we find out that he wants us to be part of that. This is what Paul, this writer, has been trying to help us understand in these opening chapters. Really, the first half of this letter of Ephesians. There's six chapters in the letter to the Ephesians. The first three are all about trying to help us understand this worldview. And now, in the second half of the book, second half of the letter, he takes this truth, and now he tries to drive it home in really practical, everyday ways. We started last week exploring how God has structured the church and how he's given leadership to help equip the people. And now he's getting even more personal. In some ways, answering that question that we heard last week, what does it mean for us to live lives worthy of the calling, the calling that we received into this family of God, the calling we received to follow Jesus? What does it mean? Well, now for the rest of the letter, Paul gets down into the nitty gritty, and this is what we're going to hear today. What we're going to hear all comes down to this basic truth. Who we are has changed. Therefore, how we live has changed too. Do you hear that? Who we are has changed. We've had an identity shift. Therefore, 
how we live our lives has changed too. And all the, the do's, the don'ts, the why's, the why not's, the, the guidance that the Bible provides, the warnings that we hear, the different things that jar us at times when we receive the word of God into our lives, all of it comes down to that basic truth. Look, you've changed. And so that means the way you live is going to change as well. But sometimes we forget this, right? I forget this. We get tangled up. We get confused. We have long-standing habits of cynicism, of bitterness. We have long-standing habits of holding on to grudges forever and ever and ever. We have these things that, that we've done. We, we've got certain ways of, that we've, 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 we've thought. And, and our thinking needs an entire overhaul. We, we've looked down on other people, maybe because of their race, maybe because of the way they look, maybe because of what they drive. I don't know all the reasons why we look down on people. We've looked down on people for so long. All of a sudden, God is wanting us to see people in a different way, and that can be really, really challenging. We can act and continue to act by default according to who we were then, before Jesus, before the work he'd done in his life. But Jesus wants us to live who we are now, in the present, in this new identity. So, So Paul... He starts off this section we're looking at today by looking uh, at the contrast between who we used to be and who we are now. We're going to start with the first eight verses of our passage today. Our passage today is Ephesians 4, 17 to 21. And some of you have a booklet. We produced a little booklet, which is just the scripture text in the New Revised Standard Version with a lot of space to write notes. Not that complicated. Um, If you would like a booklet today, um, or if you forgot your booklet and you just like just the page with just the text today, it's available right. Where is it? It's available with David Friend. You're handing it already. Put your hands up, and they will come and they'll provide you a booklet or just the sheet of the text today. We're going to dive into these these verses today, and um, if we have time at the end, huh, we'll see how fast I can talk. If we have time at the end, uh, we might even throw it open for a few questions. So hey. It's been a while since we've done that. You can get ready for that. All right. Let's look at the first eight verses of our section today, 17 to 24. Paul speaking. He says, Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. Okay, stop. Who are the Gentiles? We've heard of this before if we've been tracking along. But this might be a new term to you. It's kind of a tricky question, who are the Gentiles? Because technically, everyone who's receiving this letter, and probably most of you here today, are all ethnically Gentile. The Christians who are receiving this original letter from Paul were non-Jewish Christians, which means they're Gentile Christians. They're outside, outside of the, the, the Jewish people. But, but Gentile, the term Gentile, had become more than just an ethnic term. It was a term used for outsiders, people outside the covenant, people who didn't know God, people who were living crazy, you know, and, and were completely outside of, of God's covenant, people who had no idea that God loves them, had no idea that God wanted them in his family. And as we already saw in chapter 2, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died on the cross, he tore down this wall, it calls it a wall of hostility, that kept Jews and Gentiles apart, tore it down. And in his body, he made one new humanity, the people of God who were no longer divided by these racial divides. So now what we find out, of course, is that these Gentile Christians 
are now part, of course, of this one new humanity in Christ. They're now part of the covenant people of God. So, in a sense, and this is where it gets tricky, in a sense, though they're ethnically still Gentiles, they're no longer outsiders. They're now insiders. So, in a sense, they're, they're, they're no longer, you could say, spiritual Gentiles. You see how this gets a little tricky? The, the Gentiles that Paul's referring to here is not really ethnic Gentiles. He's referring to all the people who are still living how the Christians used to live. All the people that they know in their lives, that they work with, people in their their families or in their guilds or whatever it is, who don't yet follow Jesus. Their friends, their neighbors, their their fellow citizens in whatever city they're they're living in, who, who have not yet come to understand God's amazing love for them and how he has initiated rescue for them through Jesus. And so Paul describes their situation in really stark terms. Listen to this. It's really bleak, really bleak. Verse 18 they, that's these Gentiles, they are no, no longer supposed to live like, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and their hardness of heart. They've lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This sounds really drastic, doesn't it? Remember what he's doing. He's actually trying to remind these people, these Christians, what it was like when they were dead in the water. What it was like when they were dead in their transgressions and sins. When they didn't know what life was about. When they didn't know they were created for friendship with God. When all they could do is chase after some meaning that they were concocting for themselves. That some idea that maybe I'm supposed to live this way. And, and maybe if I did this, the world would make a little more sense. Not realizing at any point that there was a greater purpose for them. That God had created them for a relationship with himself. and Had created them to experience his goodness in their lives. But not realizing that, they, they made a life of just chasing after whatever made them feel good. Even if some of the things that made them feel good were good things. They were at the center of that. Living out a life that they had made up. And he reminds them of how, how dead and how ugly and how tragic that life really was. Now, the truth is, maybe some of you can remember what that was like. Maybe some of you can remember what it was like to live a life and get up in the morning and, and, and realize that I'm not sure what life's about. Maybe you remember what it was like to, to live when you, you didn't know there was purpose. Where you were kind of pulled here and there by, by things that you thought would promise life and love, but in the end ended up dehumanizing you and making you less than. Relationships, uh, work, money, sex, whatever. Maybe you remember what that was like. Chasing goals that weren't hooked into anything real living without the knowledge of God's love for you, maybe you remember. Maybe some of you know that life's like that because if you were really honest this morning, you'd, you'd, you'd say, well, that's exactly what life's like. Like when I got up this morning and looked at myself in the mirror, I had to ask myself, do you matter? I looked myself in the mirror and I said, does anything matter? Does life matter? Is there a purpose for my life? Maybe you looked at yourself in the mirror and thought, man, I don't know if I want to live like this anymore. I'm here to tell you, and many of us would like to tell you today that you do matter. If, if you are in a place like that, you do matter. Life does matter. Your life matters. That God passionately loves you. And he desires you to experience real life. He desires you to experience real forgiveness and real freedom in your life. God has set all history alive in Jesus so that you and I and every other person that he has created to get out of this shallow hollow existence that some call life 
and really experience the true life that he has for us in Jesus. Because you see, without knowing God, without knowing grace, without understanding the forgiveness that has been accomplished in Jesus, we don't know who we are. We don't know what life's about. And all we're left with is trying to kind of get the most out of life until we die, and then what? It's a tragic, awful way to live. And Paul, when he speaks about these Gentiles in such stark ways, we have to understand that he is deeply compassionate about these people. He loves them. He longs for them to experience God's life. Nothing he says here should make you think that he's somehow just like, you know, just whatever, talking down about them. That's actually not what he's doing. If you know Paul's story, you know that Paul gave up his whole life. Paul was, lived a dangerous life, gave up personal dreams, gave up comfort, sacrificed his reputation and his position, sacrificed his health and eventually his head, just so men and women and children could discover, so that as many outsiders as possible could find and follow Jesus, could discover the life that God has for them. What's the point he's making here? He's simply trying to get these Christians, people who have already come alive in Jesus, to understand how their living needs to change as a result of who they are now in Christ. Well, let's keep going. Paul said, after all this, you know, ugly description of their former way of life that they're not supposed to have anything to do with, he says, verse 20, that, the darkness, the ignorance, all that stuff, that is not the way you learned Christ. For surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. All along in Ephesians, Paul's been trying to reshape the worldview of these Christians and our thinking as followers of Jesus, particularly to help us understand how we fit into God's big plan to make everything right in the world. And do you see the contrasts he sets up here? He says, you know, you used to live in the futility of your minds. Now you are to live by being renewed in the spirit of your mind. See the contrast? You used to be darkened in your understanding. You had no idea what was going on. Now you are to embrace and live by the truth that is in Jesus. You used to go after anything that made you feel good. Some of it was good stuff even. Some of it terrible stuff that wrecked your life. You used to go after anything that made you feel good. Now you're to clothe yourself with a new self. Kind of an odd image, I realize, but like a, like a set of clothing. Clothe yourself in a new self, and which he says makes you look an awful lot like God. You ever thought of that? That's what he's saying. You, you start to look like God. You act like, and the most important thing God or Paul is trying to say here is that we live now, according to who we are now, this shift in identity, rather than living out the patterns, the habits, the attitudes, the behaviors, the things that used to characterize our lives when we had no idea that God loved us. We had no idea of this change that God had made in Jesus. We hadn't received forgiveness. We hadn't received the Holy Spirit. And so he's saying, don't live that way anymore. Because now how we're supposed to live is a direct expression of who we've become, reconciled, forgiven empowered by the Spirit, brought in to God's family. Don't live how you used to. Live who you are now. Now, can I pause for a moment and just kind of make a side note here? I think I, I just... Some of you came to follow Jesus, but you haven't grown much since. Can I say that out loud? You know what I'm saying? You kind of gave a nod to God somewhere along the way, 10 years ago at camp or 
30 years ago at a youth rally or, or whatever, but some of you have sort of given a nod to God, said yes to Jesus somewhere along the way, and then it's like your faith, it's like the little baby just stayed a little baby and it just kind of continues to cry over in the corner, get milk every once in a while, but that's it. And there's no growth that's happened. Now, I'm not meaning that sarcastically, and I'm certainly not meaning it in any harsh way, but I just recognize that that's true. And then when you hear the words here, you know, that is not the way you learned Christ, which is kind of a weird expression, you have to admit, if you're really honest, you haven't learned much Christ. You know what I'm saying? Like you've been kind of drifting around. Maybe you've been here at the Erickson Covenant Church for a while. Maybe you've been in and out of Christian circles. Maybe, maybe church has been optional for you for lots of your life. I don't know. But you'd have to admit that your understanding of who Jesus is and, and what Jesus did and the difference it makes in your life is pretty shallow. And following Jesus in this new way then has been very difficult for you because it seems like all the old patterns, the old behaviors, the old attitudes, that continues to characterize your life, even though you somehow said yes to Jesus. I get that. I mean, it would be, I think, super hard to love others, at least some of you. It would be super hard to love you if you never learned the love of God for you. You know, it's super difficult to comprehend generosity if you've never grasped God's generosity toward you. It's a stretch, a big stretch, to forgive others and serve them in sacrificial ways when you're still a bit confused about Jesus' death on the cross because of your sin in order to forgive you. I could go on, but I I think you know what I'm saying. So when you hear the words, that's not the way you learned Christ, you aren't sure, if you're really honest, how much Christ you've ever really learned. You know what I'm saying? Well, I am very concerned about that. We, as a church, are very concerned about that. We're committed as a church to helping you grow. So, we try to figure out ways of providing pathways, of providing uh, you know, places and contexts and relationships to help you actually learn Christ. It's actually our job, which we learned about last week in our message, right? We learned about how God gave to the church these gifts of leaders apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds or pastors and teachers, right? We learned about that. And the point of those, those, those gifts were to help the church grow. Well, we want to help you grow. And so we put things together. We offer, yes, programs, courses, classes, connections, groups, relationships to help you learn Christ. And so let me just put a little plug in here. Early in August, when you have nothing going on in September yet or October, let me put a little plug in your calendar. This fall, we're offering some amazing stuff that's going to help you grow. If you actually come to it, there is a catch. You actually have to decide to dedicate an evening a week or a morning a week, whenever these programs happen, you have to actually decide, I'm going to go to that thing. You actually have to block it out of your calendar and come to it. And so we are challenging you to learn Christ. Some of you are still finding Jesus. You're still exploring with that. We're starting the Alpha program again this fall. It's perfect for you. Or maybe you're new to the faith and you still really have no idea what's going on. Alpha's perfect for you. For many others, you want to dig into some of the scripture studies we're doing where we're studying through the gospel and we are literally learning Christ together because we've got to grow. We've got to learn Christ. And I'm speaking directly to some of you who feel like I've been kind of hopping around this place, but I haven't really grown. 
This is for you. It's for everybody. Don't anybody else let themselves off the hook. But this is specifically for you. I challenge you to make a decision to learn Christ this fall. Well, let's keep pushing on. We're going to go into the second half of our passage today. Paul's going to put this right in the ground. After setting up all this contrast, he now starts to talk about particular ways this meets, you know, rubber meets the road in our everyday lives. Um, starting with verse uh, 25 and, and to the end of 32, that's our passage today. So then, Paul says, based on all he said already and all the contrast he set up, so then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Wow. Paul packs it in here, doesn't it? Doesn't he? I don't even know where to do I don't even know what to do now. I wrestled all week. How what do I do at this point? Do I talk about each of these things? Do I single Okay, all the thieves, if you could go to that corner of the room. All those who struggle with bitterness and anger over here, and if you're somewhere in between, just stand in the middle of the room and we'll look at you. I'm not, I wasn't sure what to do. I wrestled with the best way for us to explore this. Rather than going line by line, I think it would be more helpful for us to see kind of what is Paul doing here? How is he challenging them and how is he helping them see their new life in Christ and how that impacts the way that they live? And as, as we do that, we're going to just quickly explore three principles for how we are to live according to who we are Now, the first thing we see in this passage, we see it all over the place, but even in this section here, is that everything is about relationships. Living out who we are now as followers of Jesus isn't a private individual thing. You cannot be a Christian all by yourself. It doesn't work. You can't even obey anything Paul's saying if you only live by yourself. Even the do's and the don'ts that Paul expresses are really about a people who are now living in relationship with each other in a whole new way. And so he says, speak to the truth to your neighbors. You know, don't sin when you're angry, because man, that's easy to do. Don't steal from others, but rather give generously. Don't use your words to rip people apart. Don't make the Holy Spirit who lives in you sad every day because he's in you and you're walking around doing things totally inconsistent with who he is. Don't be that bitter, wrathful, angry person that makes everyone in your life miserable. Don't do that. But live kindly and compassionately and tender. All these things that he's describing is about our relationships with other people. Because this new life in Jesus brings us into new relationships. And helps us live in a whole new way. A new relationship with God. We've been invited into God's family, adopted, sitting at his dinner table. But guess what? We're sitting at the dinner table with a whole bunch of other people. And we're renewing relationships with other people as well. And so how we live in these relationships is now according to a whole new way of living. We can't just think about people the way that we used to. When we were estranged from God. When we were dead in the water. 
when we were living according to our greed or our lust or our anger or our sin, selfishness. You know, we can't live that way anymore because we've changed. All of this has changed. And so we have to change too. This is very basic for Christian living. For some of you, this is like old hat. I get it. But for some of you, this is brand new, a brand new way of seeing these do's and don'ts, these commands we see within Scripture. And so we ask the question of ourselves, how does what I do affect the people around me? You know, for some of you, that is not a question you think about very much. For some of us, we just kind of drift along and do our thing and not really explore the impact of our actions, the impact of our behavior, the impact of our words on the people in our lives. And we need to. We need to ask the question, how do my actions, how do my attitudes, how do my words actually express God's love for other people? Or is it even doing that at all? Are my thoughts about other people consistent with who Jesus is and what he longs to do in their lives? We're called to love each other. And God has given us his Holy Spirit to enable us to do this just that. So, so let me ask you here, even after the first point, a focus question. If it's all about relationships, which I think all of Scripture is, and certainly this letter is just hammering that home, where are your relationships struggling? Where are you experiencing tension in your relationships? How does God's Word, even here in this passage, but the broader Scripture, how does it help you identify ways that you've actually been hurting your relationships with others and ways that you can begin to live in this new way where you're actually helping people? building them up. So first, it's all about relationships. Second, we're actually in God's process of life change. Our new life in Christ includes this process of change, which which Paul, I think, characterizes here by this stopping certain things and starting other things. And this is where you can get sort of the do's and the don'ts, as it were. But it's important to see that what he's doing here and what we see in Scripture isn't just some arbitrary rules that come down from on high that don't really make sense, that nobody really agrees with, but hey, we've got to do them because God said. It's actually about living out a new life in a way that actually brings life, brings freedom, brings wholeness to others' lives in our everyday way of living. Paul's trying to help us see what this looks like by contrasting an old way of living that would tear people to shreds or hold on to bitterness or act angry all the time and a new way of living that would actually build people up and help people and and be concerned for people and see them grow in grace. He's contrasting this, and this is super important because I think this is the New Testament way of ethics, how we should live. The New Testament way of of thinking about our our way of living, our ethics, is, is not about rules. It's about living out a new identity in Christ. It's crucial that we understand this. And so Paul here explores some things. He says, look, stop living in fake and deceptive ways. Stop living that way. Don't live. Put away falsehood. Speak the truth. Live the truth. Be a person of integrity. Why? Because we're in Christ. He is the truth. We're people of his now. And so our life should be characterized by that. Stop being dishonest, he talks about. Now, I don't know how many of you have a problem with thieving. I know the stores in town get ripped off on a consistent basis. So somebody in this valley has a problem with thieving. But this call is to live an honest life. He, he calls out the thieves, which is kind of an interesting cultural question. But, you know, but the point he's trying to make is we're to live working hard and live generously giving to those in need around us, whether they need a meal or whether they need to know about Jesus. 
where we're giving and living generously. Why? Because our new identity has been shaped by the generous God himself who's given us everything. And Paul, what Paul's doing here is just, he's kind of teasing out, I think, examples of, of what it really means for them to put away their former way of life and put on this new self, live according to this new identity that looks an awful like what God in righteousness and holiness. We aren't just keeping random rules. We're living a whole new way. We're loving people instead of using them. And this, I believe, is how the Holy Spirit actually brings this new life change in us. Sometimes he does it gradually. Sometimes he does it very fast. This process of listening to the Holy Spirit, this process of digging into God's Word and having His truth reshape our hearts and minds, this process of actually saying, oh, wow, I need to stop that. I need to stop thinking that way. I need to stop saying those things. I need to stop being so sarcastic that I bring tears to the eyes of my kids. I need to stop that. And I need to now start to use words and language that actually encourage them. And as I understand what the Holy Spirit is calling me to do, to live this way, not that way, guess what? I'm growing in Christ. I'm becoming more mature. I'm becoming more and more like him. There's a process at work here. Fancy old word used sometimes is the word sanctification. Try that one out this week at the coffee shop. It just means being made holy. And what we find out is God is committed to making us more holy. Now, I know a holy word, who wants to be holy? Like in common day parlance, that sounds gross, right? We know the holy neighbor. His name is Ned Flanders. And we don't want to be anything like him, right? who just kind of looks down the nose, that's not the meaning of the word holy. The meaning of the word holy is this, it's talking about the people of God who live in a whole different way. A way that's actually loving. A way that actually cares. A way that actually builds people up. The kind of neighbor you want to have. And this is the process that God calls us into as we take the dirty clothes off and pile them in the corner and then we put on the new clothes that he's provided for us. The shift in identity. So. The focus question I have for this second one is this. Where is God at work in you? Maybe where's the tension that you're struggling with? Maybe where's the problems that keep resurfacing, the patterns of behavior that keep coming up and causing problems in my marriage, in my friendships, in my workplace? Where's the tension happening? Where where is the Holy Spirit keep provoking me? Like, that is not working. Stop doing that. Not because I'm all about do's and don'ts, but because I want you to live a life of freedom and grace and life. And I want you to be about my business of bringing healing to the world. And if you keep living this way according to this pattern, you'll just keep tearing people down. And you yourself are dying in the process. Don't do that. Where is that happening in your life? What is that thing that God keeps bringing up to you? That's where God is trying to make you holy. That is where he's trying to grow you in him to make you more and more like Jesus. The third way, and very quickly, is that our new way of living, Paul constantly hooks it into what we've already been learning, what he's already been talking about. Paul wants us to know why we're doing these things. Like, why are we acting this way? How is this new behavior, this new way of living, actually hooked into this big story of what God is doing in the world and through our lives? You know, and so he says it along the way. You can see it, you know. Why would we speak the truth to each other? Because you're now part of the same body. This one new humanity. And so playing false with each other, you know, being underhanded, being deceptive, like that is not an option for the people of God 
who have been made one in Christ. You do those kind of things, what you'll end up doing is just causing division again. When Jesus died on the cross to get rid of division. Why would you do that? Right? So he, he links it into something he's already taught us. Why would, why would you want to grieve the Spirit of God? The Holy Spirit was given to us as God's people and us individually as a sign of his ownership, right? He stamped us like the ancients would stamp ownership on things with a seal. God stamped us as his own. And our new way of living shows who we belong to. But, but Paul wants us to see that, man, if we live as though we don't belong to God, you know, instead of living generously, we live like stingy, selfish hoarders. Or instead of treating people with grace and kindness and forgiveness, we're constantly raging about how terrible they are. Well, what then? We're not going to look much like God. We're not going to look much like we belong to God. And as a result, we're going to make the Holy Spirit who lives within us and refuses to move very sad to be living there. We don't want to live like that, Paul says. And he links it back into our story. Why would you want to be kind and forgive other people, even those who hurt you? Well, that's the whole point, isn't it? We remember that we who were far, far away from God, who were completely selfish, who were greedy, who were self-righteous, that God actually loved us, that he loved you. Even though you had resisted him, he loved you, he rescued you, he plucked you out of the mucky water. He gave you life. Jesus accepted you and welcomed you at the table. He forgave you. He raised you up to sit with him. And he gave you his Holy Spirit and invited you to, to explore and to live in all the goodness that God has for you. Jesus did all of that for you. And that's why we are kind and compassionate and tenderhearted and forgiving to others, even when they hurt us, even when they betray us, even when they negate what we're doing for them. We continue to show the love of Jesus. It all links up. How we live is all connected to who we are now. And Paul is very careful to show us that. And I think that's important. It's not just a random command. It's an expression of God's life in us. Well, the focus question here as we get toward finishing is this. Why are you doing what you're doing? Like, why are you doing the actions, the behaviors, the attitudes that you hold? Maybe negative or positive. Why? Like, where's that rooted? Maybe you've already identified today that you are an angry person. Maybe you've already identified today that you hold on to grudges. Maybe you realize today that you are constantly smacking people around with your words. Why? Or perhaps you've been learning to grow in grace and forgiveness for others. Why? Perhaps you, you've realized, I really want to use my words to, to help people. Why? Link it into the story. Link it into what God has done in Christ for us and is calling us to live. Most of the time, I think we can understand why we are to do what we do. Now, there's times, I get it, there's times when obeying God might not make a terrible amount of sense. I do understand that. And sometimes when we're new to faith, or sometimes when we're just exploring the Christian faith, we can bump along into things in the Bible that do not make sense to us. Like don't sleep with your girlfriend. Don't rip off your employer when you get a chance. You know, those kinds of things. Things that everyday kind of culture says, well, hey, man, if you can get away with it, that's great. And you run into things in the Bible that kind of come up against that. And you think, that doesn't make sense to me. What we have to understand is that as we come to know the God who loves us, he doesn't give random rules. He gives them because he loves us. And if we can trust him, we will discover the why. Sometimes that comes after. But I think most of the time, as we're following Jesus and we're coming along, 
We can understand why God is calling us to live in a certain way, to do a certain thing, to change a certain behavior. It's not rooted in an arbitrary God who just wants to make our life difficult, but in a God who loves us passionately and wants to see us live in freedom and in grace. All right, I preached way too long, but let's take five minutes for questions. Do you have questions, clarification, thoughts, something you'd like to push back on? Um, If you do, put up your hand and Olin will bring around a microphone you to speak briefly into. If you got a whole nother sermon to give, we can set you up for a future week. Just kidding. Derek, any questions of clarification? It can be about the text. It can be about something I've said. It can just be something you'd like to add. Go ahead and put your hand up, and Olin will bring a microphone around to you. We haven't done this for a while, so I understand we might have some silence right now, but be brave. Throw something out there. Questions? I'm not that good of a preacher, and I know it. Any thoughts? Any questions? Any comments? Clearly, we need to do question time more. We need to do discussion time again. Yeah, I'll leave you another few seconds here. Anyone at all? You're just hungry and hot, aren't you? All right. Well, throw. throw do you have a question, Faith? That's right. I know you do, Faith. That's sometimes that's all we can hang on to, right? Right. Okay. okay. Well, we'll do question time again. At the end of August, I'm preaching on marriage. You can bring your questions for that. You know what? Here's the deal. At the end of the day, we're not going to get all this stuff right, are we? We're going to keep messing up. We're going to walk out of here today, and even though we have a changed identity in Christ, and even though we know what we should do, we're going to say something that's going to hurt someone. Or at least, I think I will. I hope I don't, but chances are the day is still young. Or, or, or there'll be something in our attitude, something that we hold on to. I know this is true because this is a process that God is bringing in our lives. We can't live the life perfectly, can we? And sometimes that can make us feel bad. It can make us feel guilty. It can make us feel like, well, what are we supposed to do then? You know, there's really good news. Jesus himself He actually did all this stuff perfectly. Did you know that? He actually spoke the truth perfectly. He actually uses words to build people up perfectly. He actually lived a life of perfect integrity and gave generously more than you and I could ever imagine. That's what Jesus did. You know, Jesus, the times he was angry, he never sinned. He never gave the devil an inch. He never let the sun go down on his anger, as it were. He didn't allow anger to become this ugly thing that the devil can use to destroy lives. He didn't do it. When I look at these things that that Paul challenged, I see that Jesus, at every point of the way, he lived the way that you and I can't live, don't live. He did it perfectly, and he did it for us. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, he did it to pay for our sins, but he also did it to offer himself on our behalf to offer back to God the perfect life that you and I were unable to offer. He did it. He did it for you and he did it for me. And then here's the beautiful thing. He turns around and he offers it to us. He offers his perfection to us. He offers his holiness to us. He offers his right response to God. He offers us his ability to love others so that now we go forward in this new life that he's given to us not feeling like failures all the time, but rather operating with this freedom that we can actually live 
in Jesus and know that, you know, I'm not every day waking up and saying, man, I hope do I do things right today because if I don't, God's going to hate me. Or God's going to be so sad that he let me in. Or God is going to be so upset that, you know, we don't have to operate like that anymore. Instead, we realize that Jesus has done for us what we couldn't do so that we can live now in this new life with freedom and with grace. Jesus did it for us. Some of you today haven't yet accepted that. Some of you have been dancing around here wondering, and, and it's time for you to accept that. It's time for you to take that next step. It's time for you to decide, I actually want to follow this Jesus. I actually want to let Jesus give me the new life he's promised to give. Give me the Holy Spirit he's promised to give. And I want to follow him. I want to learn Christ. I want to, I want to discover what this means. And if you're here today and that's where you are, I want to talk to you. I'm not going to call you out today, but I want to talk to you. I want you to find me during coffee time. I want you to call me. I want you to email me, whatever. And let's talk about what that would mean for you next steps. For others of us, maybe we've just been struggling with that guilty feeling, that feeling of failure. And I want to encourage you today that as you step into this new life, as you put away certain things and you step into what God has for you, that God is walking with you. That as you learn Christ and commit to the way he wants to teach you, he is doing it for you. He's leading you in that. And there are good things that God wants to do in us and through us as a result. Let's pray. Jesus, you are amazing. It is a privilege to follow you and know that we don't have to get up every day and wonder if we're missing it, making it. You've done that for us. And today we we just offer our lives to you because you've offered your life to us. And I ask in particular you would help us as your people live in this new life you've given to us. For those of us who struggle with maybe some of the things mentioned here today, maybe, maybe, maybe there's stuff, patterns, attitudes, behaviors that have been lingering that really are consistent with a life apart from you. And we've recognized that today. And I ask, Lord Jesus, for forgiveness for those things. And ask that for each one of us, we would be able to say, I'm putting that away. And we're able to put on this new self that you have given to us. It was created for holiness and righteousness, for love and for grace. I pray for each one who is struggling here today, maybe with addiction, maybe with a a long-standing pattern of sin, that we would experience your Holy Spirit's freedom today, your healing, your grace, and step into this new life you have for us. And for anyone who's here today who, who has not yet decided, Jesus, to follow you, I pray in your name, Jesus, that we hear your voice calling them to life calling them from the river, calling them to come and sit with you, to begin to learn from you, to begin to experience your freedom and your forgiveness. For each one of us, Lord, today, I pray that we would just hear your voice. We would live. Live in the freedom and grace you've offered us. And thank you for your grace. In your name we pray. Amen.